And not only did he have a relationship with the government, but he had a role in the FBI. In this world, you look out for number one. Few, if any, people take that oath to the grave. These guys are on the streets, so they're involved in, in hustling. Welcome back to the Original Gangsters podcast. I am Jimmy Bucciolato, sitting here with my co-host, Scott Bernstein, and our producer, Roberto Boshane. We're going to talk about uh, Marty Scorsese and his uh, most recent uh, film, The Irishman, which is about Jimmy Hoffa and the murder of Jimmy Hoffa and um, has garnered a lot of critical acclaim, has also garnered a lot of uh, scrutiny from historians like ourselves. Um, and we're just going to kind of chop it up and uh, you know see where it goes from there. Yeah, so we're in an interesting situation here because Scott has already seen the film, The Irishman, and Roberto and I have not. So uh, I think Roberto and I are going to sort of interview Scott here and see what he thinks about the film because uh, we haven't seen it. We'll try not to include too many spoilers. But we want to hear what Scott thinks about it, and then and then maybe compare that and contrast that with some other Scorsese films as we move along. So where where and when did you see it? So I got to um, attend a press screening of uh, the Detroit media last week. It opened in Detroit um, last Friday. I believe that would have been November. Um, hold on, today. <laughs> I believe that would have been uh, like November fifteenth. Or no, actually, that would have been November twelfth. Uh, I saw the press so screen. Or it, sorry, I saw the press screen on the twelfth. It opened, I believe, on the fourteenth or fifteenth uh, in Detroit. It's been open um, in the theater, I believe, since November first. It's going to hit Netflix on the twenty seventh. So, and and there, this theatrical release, I believe, is that because that way they they're eligible for yeah. the Academy. Awards? So it's a limit. It's a limited the, uh, theatrical release. It's only being. Um, run in, in certain cities and even in those cities it's reserved to uh, certain theater chains um, I know in Detroit there's only I think one or two theaters if I think it might just be I think it just might be one that's one yeah in all of Michigan I think so there's a few different ways we can approach this and and one thing I'm interested in is Scott's perspective on the historical validity of the film and then also just the entertainment factor it is a uh, not only a gangster film, but a crime drama film. So let, let's start with that. Let's let's start with the entertainment value. Yeah. Uh, Scott, what was your impression in terms of, is this an interesting film, well acted? What are your thoughts about it? So I went into it very intent to give it a fair shot because obviously I love Martin Scorsese. He's my probably my favorite director. Um, I love the genre. It's something I've made a career out of. Uh, anyone that's followed me or followed the case knows that I've been pretty adamant that Frank Sheeran uh, did not kill Jimmy Hoffa and this movie is espousing that uh, Frank the Irishman Sheeran who was a uh, Teamsters goon mob hitman uh, from uh, the Delaware area also worked out of Pennsylvania New Jersey uh, the movie the Irishman is based on a book that was written about him back in the early 2000s called I, I heard you paint houses um, and that's the theory that this this movie is going on record as saying that they have solved the the Hoffa uh, murder and they tie it to, to Frank Sheeran and I've been pretty vocal that that's not what happened and that the filmmakers have taken a lot of creative license um, that kind of diverges from um, uh, uh, veracity and 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 you know true history. 
So I, I was intent that I was not going to judge the film in terms of entertainment value, in terms of art, in terms of a craft, uh, a craftsmanship. I wasn't going to judge it based on its history. So I went into it. I, I would like to think I went into it with a very open mind. Um, I didn't dislike it. Uh, I went into it also knowing that there had been a ton of praise for this movie from from the uh, Hollywood critics. I believe it has been touted as kind of a crowning achievement for Martin mm-hmm. Marty Scorsese's career, one of the greatest mob movies ever made. I've heard some people say it's you know an opus that's up there with The Godfather. <laughs> so I, I will say that I was underwhelmed in that regard. Uh, I thought it was a good movie. It was far from a great movie. Um, it wouldn't make my Scorsese top five. I don't even know if it would make my Scorsese top eight. <laughs> I like the idea of uh, maybe like a commercial for the film with all the praise, and then for it's a Scott Bernstein. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't dislike it. <laughs> I did not like it. <laughs> so I mean, there were parts of it that were very good. The acting was excellent. But I expected the acting to be excellent because you have three of the greatest actors of all time and the greatest director maybe of all time making the movie. But De Niro was amazing. Um, he plays the Irishman. He correct. plays the Irishman. Uh, Al Pacino as Hoffa. I was worried going into the uh, going into the film uh, or going into my viewing of the film. As much as I love Al Pacino, I think there's come a point in the last twenty or so years where he's kind of delved into playing a caricature version of him. Mm-hmm. So it's like Al Pacino playing Al Pacino. Yeah, I agree. So I was worried that I was going to kind of... Give him a half. Yeah. I was worried that I was going to see Al Pacino playing Al Pacino playing Jimmy Hoffa. Scent of a woman. And <laughs> I, after the first scene or two where I kind of had to acclimate myself to the some of the normal Pacino histrionics... Uh, I thought he did a really good job, and, and I, I thought his portrayal was was very good. What, what about the aging process? Oh yeah, right. yeah. So they CGI. spent. So this was a two hundred million dollar movie. Uh, it's being distributed by Netflix, um, and about a hundred million of that two hundred million went into de aging technology. So Pacino, Hoffa, and Pesci, who plays Russell Buffalino, who was a mob don from. Um, Rural Pennsylvania, northeastern Pennsylvania, who Frank Sheeran was kind of a right-hand man to, bodyguard, driver, etc. cetera. Uh, and they, they wanted that de-aging technology, so they Pacino, Pesci, and Nero could play those characters in their 30s and 40s. So I, I thought the, the de-aging technology was not distracting. I thought it, it, was, it was very well done. Um, the only thing you could tell would be more of the body language Mm. That, you know, a 70-year-old guy, yeah, his face might look like he's 30, but right. if he's 70, there's still going to be yeah, a little, maybe a, 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 a lack of pep in their step. Or, yeah, uh, I never thought about that. That's a good point. But I thought that there was, I was I was worried, especially because I've been, you know, tracking this film since the very early origins. And um, one of the big things that even Scorsese himself, and who knows if this was kind of a, a sandbagging gesture by, by mm. Scorsese, but he came out about six seven, eight months ago and said, you know, I'm worried about how this technology is going to look and if it's going to screw up the movie or not. So when I was reading that from Scorsese himself back in the winter or spring, it made me think, well, if he's worried about it. But I, I thought it actually it, it it came off it, well. It, did, it didn't hurt it. No, not at all. And maybe helped it yeah. rather than it would have hurt Yeah. 
So we know the big three are in there, Pesci, De Niro, and Pacino. Uh, tell us about some of the other important cast members, uh, any standout performances yeah, see, that we should look out for. Th- this is where we get into some of my issues with the film. Um, you have a, a three-hour and 45-minute movie. I believe it's the longest film in cinema history. Wow. Um, it tops The Godfather in terms of uh, running time. More than Casino? Yeah. Yo, Godfather's longer than Casino. Yeah. I would think that The Ten Commandments, that's a long-ass movie. I, I thought I read that. <laughs> Good, Godfather, it could be, yeah. I mean, it's, what, three hours? No, I just thought I read that the this film, The Irishman, has been, yeah, sure. is being that makes sense. credited as the longest yeah. movie in cinema history. That makes history. sense, yeah. Uh, so you had three hours and 45 minutes to play with. And outside of the, 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 that, the holy trinity there of Pacino, Pesci, and De Niro... They didn't really want to devote much time to the side characters, but they would devote like two or three minutes into like a, a storyline rabbit hole and start to flesh out some color to a to a storyline. And then they would abandon it. And then you wouldn't hear about it or see about it, or you wouldn't hear about it or see it for two hours. And then when they would come back, it would kind of all be out of context. So you had Ray Romano uh, played Bill Buffalino, who was mm. Russell Buffalino's cousin. He was a he, he's actually a, a very fascinating figure that they really only very peripherally touch on in the movie. And he was Detroit based. So right? Bill was- Buffalino was uh, a made member of the Detroit Mafia. He was a uh, a a top of the line defense attorney, one probably one of the best criminal defense attorneys in America, and he was a Teamsters Union local boss. So he he wore three separate hats. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one of them being <laughs> somewhat illegal. Uh, mm-hmm. I guess I don't know if being a member of an organized crime family is illegal per se, but uh, he uh, he was. He, but he was known as an an excellent criminal defense attorney that was used not just by the Detroit mob as kind of an in-house counsel for the Toko's early crime family, but also was used by many other uh, m- mafia leaders and, and, and bosses and capos from, from around the country. Ray Murano played him, um, and they really kind of only touched on the fact that he was an attorney, and they kind of played him kind of nebbishy, like he was like this kind of meek, um, nerdy uh, character and in hmm. reality, no, Bill Buffalino was right? a tough guy. Yeah, right. Yeah. That's what I thought. Well, I guess they have to do that for movies' yeah. sake, right? Now, two other guys I want to ask you about was Joey Gallo, Sebastian Maniscalco. Yeah. So that they, uh, that was one of the things that I liked about the film is how they kind of weave together the history of the American mafia um, through this kind of tapestry of Hoffa and I, I guess Sheeran um, and Buffalino. So they depicted the Albert Anastasia um, murder in the barbershop in the 1950s. They depicted the Joe Colombo assassination um, in the 1970s at the uh, Columbus Day Rally Italian uh, Festival. And then they also devoted a good maybe 20 minutes, 15, 20 minutes to the Crazy Joe Gallo uh, situation where Crazy Joe Gallo was a uh, a very high-profile New York mobster that was in the uh, Perfacci family, which eventually became the Colombo crime family, and uh, actually went to war um, with Perfacci, uh, was able to get a kind of a ragtag group of non-Italian mobsters to get behind him. He, he aligned with a lot of uh, black gangsters in Harlem. 
uh, and was responsible for the Joe Colombo assassination and was kind of living on borrowed time after that. He was murdered uh, at his birthday party in Little Italy uh, at Umberto's Clam House, which was actually owned by a Genovese crime family capo, Matty the Horse Ionello. Um, and I believe that the claim by Sheeran that not only did he kill Hoffa, but he also killed Crazy Joe Gallo actually yeah. undermines yeah. his credibility. I don't think that's true. And it's like he's the Forrest Gump of the mafia. He just hap- he happened to be. So, yeah. And Crazy Joe Gallo, that, that's a pretty interesting. He was a fascinating character in and of himself. Uh, of itself. Wasn't there was some actor that was there that night, right? Who was yeah, he? He was with, with Jerry Orbach. Yes, right. Lenny, Lenny Briscoe from uh, Law and Order fame. Right, right. He was there that night, right? Because Dirty Dancing. Right, Dirty yeah, Dancing. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> he played. He played. Baby in the corner. He plays a <laughs> and he plays a mob boss in one of the most underrated '80s teen movies called Toy Soldiers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he plays a New Jersey yeah, mob yeah. boss. Yeah. Yeah. So he was. So Gallo was counterculture icon it yeah. was really fascinating situation where he's an actual made member of a new york crime family and yet bob dylan wrote a song about him a name he started, him he, started a and he started dressing differently that's and, right and he was experimenting with drugs right and he right. was and he was being <laughs> right. this uh you know he opened up his crew to non-italians specifically black people right that really upset the right. higher-ups in the new york mafia right. and, when, and, when he and was, it's brought up in the film about how you know that oh, uh, that, that, that decision to align with um you know nicky barnes and some other guys uh, from from the harlem now, black rackets right, upset right. people you had mentioned before we started recording that something happened in the movie and then there's still a long time in the oh, movie yeah. to go <laughs> So it just, you know, this to me was a self-indulgent picture by Marty Scorsese. And maybe Marty Scorsese deserved to sure. be self-indulgent. You know, he's, he, he's the Babe Ruth. I won't complain. Yeah. The Babe Ruth of cinema. And, you know, if he wants to make a four-hour movie and he wants to have 350 scenes shot and he wants a $200 million budget and he's not going to get that from the traditional studio system and Netflix is going to give it to him, then who am I to tell him not to go do it? Right. But I will say... I don't think this movie needed to be 340 or 345. Um, Jimmy Hoffa dies, again, spoiler, at about 240. <laughs> and I'm looking at my watch you being like, I'm like, how are they going to string another hour out of this? <laughs> um, my biggest issue from a filmmaking point of view was probably this very, very underdeveloped kind of confusing storyline with his with with Frank Sheeran's daughter who was played by Anna Paquin who was an Academy oh, yeah. Award I don't know if she I don't know if she won an Academy Award but she's been nominated for Academy Award she's a very uh, a very uh, a, a well um a, a well-liked actress who's right. uh, well respected in the industry and they had her in throughout the film and I counted she only had three lines and they, ha- they kept on having her in scenes, and I'm like, well, what's her purpose here? Uh, and then they kind of had this confusing undercurrent subplot of this weird kind of relationship that the Peggy Sheeran character had with Hoffa, where it was almost like Hoffa as this 60-year-old man was, like, crushing on this 20-year-old girl and the 20-year-old girl was, like, enamored by Hoffa as some type of pseudo-father figure. And that, lo- that's not in the book, right? That's yeah, No, I don't know. And I have no idea what the, what the truth of yeah, the, all that is. Yeah, I don't remember is. reading that in the And how she was 
you know, she blamed her, her 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 dad for never being there for her and being a bad person and being a gangster, but somehow looked at Jimmy Hoffa as well. He's the he's the face of the working man, and he, he he's fighting the good fight. And, and I, then there is there is there a Chucky O'Brien, and that's another confusing storyline that they go into for about a, a two or three minute scene, about an hour into the film, where Hoffa declares, "This is." I raised, he doesn't say he's a surrogate son. He says, this is Chucky O'Brien, I raised him. But if you don't know the story, you don't really know what that means. And then they, and then Chucky disappears. Because it was more than that. Well, yeah, there's a lot more to it. I mean, he, some people think that Chucky O'Brien is actually Jimmy Hoffa's son. We know for, for a fact that he, uh, it was a surrogate son, that he that, that Chucky O'Brien was um, lived his early life in Jimmy Hoffa's uh, house. And it was kind of made a part of the, the Hoffa family. Hoffa was very close with his mom and had engaged in a, 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 rom- a romance with his mom, Sylvia Pagano. And to give ourselves a shameless plug here, our most recent episode, Scott interviews Jack Goldsmith, who was Chucky O'Brien's mm-hmm. stepson. And even Jack Goldsmith entertains the possibility that Chucky is Hoffa's biological Modical son, right? Son, yeah. If you listen to so our the, the, episode. The, 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 I guess the... The narrative that's out there uh, is that O'Brien was the son of a Kansas City mobster um, who was a, uh, a bodyguard and driver for uh, Charlie Benaggio, who was the, the, the godfather of, of Kansas City, Missouri, and then eventually uh, made, made his way with his mom to Detroit. And then the mob became, or the mom, Sylvia Pagano, who changed her name to Sylvia Paris, tried to be a an actress and a model and, and, and kind of developed into a, a, a paramour for a number of gangland figures is any of that in Detroit. A, is any of that explored in the film? No, 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 no. So he's already... So just, you just so you see Chucky, like, let's say circa 1962 or 63. No, that, that, that would have made the film five hours right. long. <laughs> That's true. So you see Chucky O'Brien with, with, with Pacino in a scene that takes place in the early 60s where... Uh, Pacino announces to a, a crowd of reporters and and and, and onlookers that this is look how proud I am of my 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 protege. This is this is this is I, I raised this boy to be everything he was or everything he is. Um, they doesn't really they don't really give context to what that means. And then you don't see Chucky O'Brien for an hour and a half, and then he pops back up during the day that Hoffa disappeared. And is you know the driver of the car that that kidnaps Hoffa, despite the fact that everybody knows at that time Hoffa and O'Brien were no longer on speaking terms. They had had a very very acrimonious uh, falling out um, over a, a, a teamster uh, position that ha- uh, O'Brien wanted to run for in an election that Hoffa wouldn't back him. According to the Goldsmith book, there was a huge blowout at Thanksgiving 1974 where Chucky left the Hoffa house uh, in a huff. And uh, did not speak to, to his surrogate father uh, the rest of his surrogate father's life, which uh, was about another six months. Yeah, and that's something more shameless, uh, shameless self-promotion here. You can listen to some of our other podcast episodes where we talk about this quite often. I mean, at least three or four other yeah. episodes, the, the relationship between O'Brien and Hoffa and also how uh, uh, our contacts in law enforcement that we interview think it's uh, highly unlikely that the mafia would would entrust O'Brien or Sheeran, for that matter, with anything this sensitive, a, a, a assassination of Jimmy Hoffa. They would not trust either yeah. one of them. And um, so you, the next time you see Jimmy, or so the next time you see Chucky after that one scene, which was about a two or three minute scene at about, let's say, the one hour mark or the one hour 
20 minute mark and then you you see him at about the two hour 40 minute mark and oh my god it they for the sake of their narrative they don't they make it seem like Chucky and Jimmy Hoffa were on, you know, they were still, in, you know, in, they, they, they were still in, you know, in love with each other and uh, they were still on very good terms. And when uh, Hoffa sees Chucky driving the car, hey, Chucky, how you doing? Hey, Dad, how are you? Um, oh, man. And that, that's kind of how the, the belief is with Chucky and with Frank Sheeran in the car is what lured Hoffa into the car. Uh, the, the way they portray the Red Fox restaurant which is where Hoffa kind of Hoffa made his last stand uh, where Hoffa was kidnapped from the last uh, place that he was seen in public that afternoon um, which which is in Bloomfield Township Michigan at a very crowded intersection major thoroughfare uh, in a restaurant that sits in the parking lot of a shopping mall um, just like in the 19 19- 1992 movie Hoffa, <laughs> they decide to kind of take the Marcus Red Fox and they the they move it into the uh, it's like the New England countryside. Yeah, that's weird. That's so weird. Yeah, that's so weird. So uh, another issue I had with this film was it's a I mean it's it, you can't really dispute the fact that it is a giant slap in the face to the city of Detroit um, in, in multiple ways, not just for who killed uh, Hoffa or how he was killed. But, you know, the Jimmy, the story of Jimmy Hoffa, you can't debate it. It starts and it ends in the city of yes. Detroit, whether you're talking about Hoffa as a man, if you're talking about Hoffa as a labor leader, as a political leader, as a, right. political leader, as a mob associate. And for a three hour and 45 minute movie, for the, for the film to only take place in Detroit for less than three minutes... Um, you know, I've said to people, you know, Hoffa might as well have lived in Honolulu for the sake yeah. of that film. Yeah, you know, you said you don't get a sense of place. No, there's just the- it's just Detroit has no role in the film. In the film, they make it seem like some disgruntled teamster charged Hoffa in court. Did that ever happened. I don't know. I've never read that before. But in the film, they make it seem like some disgruntled teamster charges Hoffa with a gun in court, and Chucky O'Brien saves Hoffa by tackling the would-be assailant and beating him up in front of all these reporters. Hoffa then, you know, grabs Chucky O'Brien, like raises his arm like he just won a heavyweight champion fight and says, hey, this is my boy, Chucky O'Brien. I raised him. I raised him. Yeah, that that might be true. I, I'm embarrassed. We're supposed to be the experts, but I, I that, never heard that before. <laughs> I don't remember. Never but I, it I was think, when he was on trial in, in Tennessee. Yeah, I, uh, I thought there was some kind of altercation there, but I, I'd have to go back and I'm embarrassed that I don't know off the top of my head, but I'd have to go back and look. Um, I thought Nicholson. I thought he did a good job in that earlier. That was, that film was the best part of that of, film. Of like he, he. I thought he did a good job of taking on his mannerisms. Like if, if you look at actual footage of Jimmy Hoffa, I'm not saying there there are other things in the movie that weren't problematic, but I thought his portrayal of Hoffa was pretty pretty no, realistic. It seems more to me that the Pacino role is more of a stretch. From yes. a, okay, so yeah. from a from a yeah. filmmaking point of view, <laughs> right. the 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 Irishman was a better movie from a history point of view. Hoffa, although it has some discrepancies in historical accuracy, right. was a much more to the uh, t- you know sticking to the truth of the Jimmy Hoffa story. You get it much more in the movie Hoffa, uh, the '92 movie Hoffa, de- uh, directed by Danny DeVito, starring Jack Nicholson, because than I will you do say in this, that the new 
The Irishman seems like to me it doesn't have any fake characters. To me, Danny DeVito it was wasn't. Kind of it wasn't a, to you. It was a fake character. Bobby Charo, right. the character, was like a a strange composite of right. Chucky O'Brien and Bobby Holmes, who was right. a uh, one of Hoffa's uh, top guys here in Detroit at local uh, two ninety nine. Yeah, um, it seems to me. Again, I haven't seen the Irishman yet, but it seems to me like the Hoffa film in ninety two was that when that came yeah. out. That, that that was a movie about Jimmy Hoffa, the man, and as a labor leader. And so there's there, there's a mafia subplot because that was important. Whereas Scorsese seems to want to tell a story about the American mob it's so that, that happens to include Jimmy Hoffa. You know yeah. what I mean? Like it's the other way. And it's the other yeah, way around. There's this this East Coast bias that that slips in here, where you know it's New York centric. If, if if the mafia in New York isn't involved in it, it then yeah. it doesn't exist. It's insignificant. Um, and that's where you know the Detroit mob family gets a real. <laughs> kicking the balls in, in in the in their treatment in, in the, the Irishman where you don't really hear a peep about the Detroit mob despite the fact that the Detroit mob were, were personally responsible for Jimmy Hoffa from the 1930s to when he died in the, in the 1970s um, he was their contact person he was the one they were uh, the, the, the the mob family that he was having his most um, intimate interactions with and doing the most business with uh, and the only time you see any member of the Detroit mob either referenced uh, or or you view him on screen is uh, about a scene and a half where Anthony Tony Jack Jackaloni is portrayed and it's just it's a it's a it's such a it does such a, a, a disservice to who Tony Jackaloni was. Um, they make him out, and who the Detroit and what the Detroit mob was. They make him. They, well, they make him out to be a water boy, like a lackey. They make him out oh, to be uh, a nobody. Uh, they marginalize him. They marginal. I don't even want to say they marginalize Detroit because that would make it seem like they even talk about Detroit. Mm-hmm. Um, How many times is Detroit even mentioned? He's mentioned. They're mentioned about just. Only the the murder. That's it. Wow. Them that they're going to Detroit for uh, for for Bill Buffalino's daughter's wedding, um, and you know the the Tony Jackaloni character is referenced as oh that's Tony Pro's cousin. Well, it's not Tony Pro's cousin. It, right. Tony Pro was a cousin of Tony Jack's wife, and Tony Jack's wife called Tony Pro uh, Uncle Tony, right. but uh, Tony Jack and Tony Pro were not related, and they just make Tony. Jackaloni out to be a clown and Tony Jackaloni was believe me far from a clown and was the person that quarterbacked the entire Hoffa murder conspiracy uh, was a linchpin um, the cornerstone of the entire uh, you know the, the, the perfect murder the most notorious unsolved crime in American history was a, a product of the criminal acumen of Tony Jackaloni, and in this film, make him out to be like he is not just second banana, but like third, fourth, and fifth banana. There's a, a notion, I think, with some scholars and journalists, historians, that uh, the New York Mafia wanted to kill Jimmy Hoffa, and in some extreme interpretations, didn't even have to consult Detroit. <laughs> just showed up in New York and whacked Hoffa as if they could do that without Detroit. But 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 even even if you give Detroit some credit, they say, well, they were sort of um, uh, brought in as a courtesy. And and even that, uh, we've contested. And, and we argue that it's actually, not true. It's just not it's true. Not, it's not true. That the this order was, came from Detroit. I think so. The order That's came, and the order came down uh, probably the second week of July 
in the direct aftermath of the bombing of uh, Little Fitz's car right. at Nemo's, which is a popular uh, watering hole hangout for, for Teamsters Local 299, which was Hoffa's power base in southwest Detroit. Right. Um, Hoffa had at that point uh, had a had a he had a falling out with a lot of people, but had a big falling out with his former uh, vice president Frank Fitzsimmons, who had become the president of the Teamsters when Hoffa went to prison. Uh, and by the nineteen mid nineteen seventies, Hoffa and Fitzsimmons were bitter enemies in uh, Hoffa's attempt to take back the union. Fitzsimmons was running his son uh, for a, a Teamsters post at local two ninety nine, and at this point. There was a, a entire anti-Hoffa goon squad that was empowered within the Teamsters to uh, do whatever they could to, 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 through intimidation tactics and bullying to, to make sure that Hoffa didn't run. And in, the belief is in a reaction to this uh, campaign of intimidation launched on Hoffa from the Teamsters, he then set out to kill Fitzsimmons and his son and bombed. Uh, their car that was sitting outside Nemo's when the two Fitzsimmonses were meeting inside uh, uh, for, a, for a meeting on July 10th, I believe. And that's portrayed in the movie, right? Yes, the, the, it's portrayed in both, in both Hoffa and But they didn't film Irishman. it here, I understand. No, they, they filmed film it all in Long Island. They recreated Detroit, which, which made more sense to me when I saw the movie. I thought when I was, when I was reading about them uh, creating all these Detroit scenes in Long Island, it made me think that there was going to be a lot of Detroit scenes in the movie, but it makes sense not to come here if you're only going to have two scenes, three scenes in a, a movie that has 350 of them in Detroit. So we, so in real, in real life, when you look at the events leading up to the disappearance, the strain is really between Hoffa and the Detroit guys, not, not these other cities is that so? That's not portrayed in this at film all, at all, at all. Right? At it, all. It, it wouldn't be. So, so I, so I mean, I believe that the the Fitzsimmons bombing takes place on July 10th. I believe in the days after that, the Detroit uh, crime family: Joe Zarilli, the Godfather; Jack Tokel, the acting boss; Tony Jackaloni, the the street boss, had a meeting of the minds that this has gone too far, and we need to put an end to this right now. Uh, he's trying to kill one of our guys. And, and, and what would have happened? Let's say that they, Zarelli and Jack Looney had that meeting, and they never even consulted New York. Would it even have been a problem? I think that's possible. I'm not saying that that's true, but I think it's I think it's theoretically. Possible. I think it probably would have been a problem. I mean, I think the commission still needed to because the commission was still sitting at that point. We don't really have a but mafia no commission money was anymore. Being made from Detroit was control. I mean, he was literally the golden goose laying, laying the golden eggs when it came to that Teamsters pension fund, which everyone was so worried about. But you know, as we know, Detroit and Chicago controlled the pension fund. It wasn't New York. But 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 I think what he's asking is Hoffa. But that was already under the control of Fitzsimmons at that yeah, point. Right. So so if they if they would have whacked right no 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 right, but right. but the worry was that he was going to take back the union in '76, which he was he would have if he would have no, ran in that election. No, I'm saying if they would have if Detroit would have killed Hoffa without consulting New York, Hoff, the, there was no percentages oh, to right, New York at right, that point. Right, from right, Hoff, right. You yeah, yeah. See what I'm saying? Right, I do. So like I mean they they. They might not have consulted. I mean, I, I think I, it I, went I, up. The, I think it went up the chain. I think it went to Cardo in Chicago. Uh, went to Provenza, the went Tony to the Pro. guy. Uh, I don't even think Provenzano. I think Provenzano gets Inflated. is overrated in terms yeah, of what right. role he played in this. He yeah. was simply a a carrot. He was a lure to get Hoffa out in the open because there was a beef between Hoffa and Provenzano, Prison. and they knew that. 
uh, in order for, or Hoffa knew in order to, to get back the union, he needed to make amends with Provenzano, and he was so desperate to take back the union, he was going to do whatever he could to, to bury the hatchet with Provenzano, and they knew that that was a way to get Jimmy Hoffa to a meeting so they could kill him. It had not, the, the, the beef with Provenzano that led to that meeting being set up as a uh, as an ambush, I guess, in a way, uh, had nothing to do with the actual beef. It had right. to do, you know, so right. and it, right. it's over, I think that, like you said, it's inflated. Tony Pro's role is, is, has been inflated uh, when, in fact, I think the, the sanctioning, I think the order came from Detroit. I think it was sanctioned by Accardo in Chicago, probably by Buffalino, uh, Bruno, and then the commission in New York. What, what, what would, not to totally geek out here, but I guess that's the point of this that's podcast, okay. <laughs> is to geek out on this shit. But uh, even Buffalino and Bruno, I still don't see why Detroit would have to consult with either one of them. I mean, the commission is different. That's Accardo and the five New York families. Well, Bruno was on the commission, I believe. Yeah, that's true. I, I, right, at that point, right, he and Zerilli had been added. But I still don't, I mean, I don't know. what Buffalino's the, over. I, it, yeah. Buff, I've said this now. Buffalino, in the last 10 years, Russell Buffalino has gone from the most underrated mob boss in American history to the most overrated mob boss in American right. history. He right. went from someone that you looked at and you said, oh, a, a mob boss from Scranton, Pennsylvania, shouldn't have as much power as this guy had. And that's true. He had more power than you would think a mob boss from a, a, a rural Pennsylvania city would sure. have had. But by no means was this guy pulling the strings yeah. for the entire American mafia, which this movie makes him seem like he was. Right. And a lot of historians have kind of, um, or a lot of writers have kind of gravitated to writing about Russell Buffalino as this kind right. of hidden figure, the sleeper right. mob don. Had and JFK I think, killed. Yeah, and I think that as a result, his reputation has been way overvalued. Um, and I, I, I agree with the notion that even though I, I'm kind of contradicting myself now, saying that I believe that there there was sanctioning from Buffalino and Bruno, uh, it's it's possible that that they weren't even consulted. Um, I believe the most important people in terms of this decision would have been Zerilli in Detroit, Accardo in Chicago, uh, and then the commission in New York, which would have been Gambino and and uh, Carlo Gambino in, in '75. Uh, and and the guys of the uh, Genovese crime family, maybe Carmine uh, Galante. Uh, well, and from and, and there, I I do think there's some this idea that uh, that Hoffa actually had some support from the southern the Sun Belt mob well, bosses, Traficante, Marcello. That's uh, actually that's, that's a lost part of the story about how he was trying to rally. Yeah, it that, seems that, like that, that. Let me ask you this: the Sun the Sun Coast Mafia right. behind him. Right. If you guys were directing the movie, and you had to plot. The final moments of Jimmy Hoffa, what would it be on screen? It would have been that he gets picked up uh, by Tony Giacalone's brother, Billy Giacalone, probably by Tony Provenzano's right-hand man, Sally Bugs Bergulio, and he's driven uh, to a, a nearby residence. I've always pinpointed it as being the... Uh, so it was there was never going to be a meeting in the restaurant? No. No. I don't believe so. Um, they took him to a, a nearby residence. They murdered him at the residence. And then I believe that this is the one part of the story I believe the Irishman got right in terms of the murder. Um, he's put in the trunk of that car that delivered him to uh, his murder, which was a 1975 Mercury Marquis owned by Tony Giacalone's son, Joey Giacalone. And I believe uh, he was delivered to um, one of the three 
incinerators that the Detroit mob owned and had control of at that time. Most likely, I think it was Central Sanitation and Hamtramck, which was owned by uh, Peter Bozzi Vitali, a Detroit mob couple that controlled the Greektown area, and uh, Raphael Jimmy the Goon Quasarano, who was a capo and, and narcotics lieutenant. They owned Central Sanitation. Um, Central Sanitation ended up burning down in a suspicious arson fire about two years later before the FBI could get a search warrant to get in there. And uh, Vitali and Quasarano were followed by an FBI surveillance unit um, in the days after Hoffa disappeared to a meeting in New York uh, with the Genovese crime family, I believe, to kind of have a sit down uh, with the commission or representatives of the commission to discuss what had happened. So not a spoiler alert. Anything that you just mentioned now, does that actually happen in the film? Yes. The, well, the, the part where they take him to an incinerator. The part where he dies. Oh, that's <laughs> No, no, the, the incinerator. Well, Sheeran well, yeah. says that. Sheeran right? says that. Right. That he was he taken says they killed him in a house in Detroit. but so the, so the house is supposed to be in Detroit in the film. Yeah, but it looks okay. like you're in uh, the, the rolling hills of Vermont. <laughs> <laughs> Not northwest Detroit. <laughs> it's like a one-lane highway. It's like all, like all these hills. I'm like, you don't know the Midwest very well. The Midwest is flat. flat. Jesus. The house that I've always said, uh, which would belong to Carlo Licata, a, a mob soldier in the Detroit family who was had 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 mafia royalty um, in his bloodline, had been the the son of the Godfather of of California. Um, I believe that that's where they took him, and that was about a two minute drive from from the Red Fox. Seems reasonable. Yeah. Now, why are we talking miles and miles? Well, because and miles that's and, and why can't and why can't you source it? Like, tell me who that house belonged to, and nobody right. can tell me. Right. What, what's the story? It, it's, it, it belonged was, to a guy who who, who, who knew a guy who knew a guy who knew a guy. And isn't it, isn't it some of the real estate agent was it? They knew they knew the house wasn't. What's remember? And I, I heard you paint houses so I don't like get that. There's a, you whack the guy now. You got to go to Red no, Fox to drop him off. They're saying no. They're saying they whacked him at Red. They picked him up at the Red Fox. They take him to Redford. They whack him, and then from Redford they take him to Incinerator. Okay. But there's some convoluted story in it's the book. It's not even Redford. It's, of, nor, it's the it's northwest Detroit. Detroit. It's Detroit. So before, so before you hit before Redford. Or yeah. But they knew they knew they weren't. No one was going to be home because it was some kind of real estate. Yeah. But it was like or, someone who knew somebody <laughs> who owned the house. Right. It was like three people removed from it. Right. And I was like, that is so. The, the, the only place that that murder would have took place in would have been the most secure environment where every single, every single. Uh, factor could be controlled by the Detroit mob. So let's just do let's do a quick um, as we wrap up. Uh, Scorsese, is this better than right. said Scorsese movie? So I'm going to go down the line. Is it better than Mean Streets? No. Wow. Is it better than Taxi Driver? No. Taxi Driver is great. Though. Is it that, better than that's... Raging Bull? No. Is it better than The Color of Money? No. Is it better wow. than Goodfellas? No. Is it better than Cape Fear? No. Is it better than Cas- Cape Fear is good though. That's that's Cape really Fear. good though. Is it, I love is it. it. I better- would put Cape Fear in top three for me. Is it better than Casino? No. Is it better than Gangs in New York? No. Is it better than Departed? No. Oh, where but where do you put Departed? I love Departed. Departed would, you know, I Departed would be in my top no. Five. Departed would probably be in my top. Definitely top. My top five are Goodfellas, Wolf of Wall okay. Street, Mean Streets, Casino. When I saw Departed, yeah, Departed was an A. This to me was a B. I mean, it was a B. Um, going Aviator. down, the, going down the line. Aviator, I'd say it's equal. 
Might mm-hmm. be better than the Aviator. I like the Aviator. Mm-hmm. Shutter Island, I like. I like that too. Have you ever seen Shutter Island, Roberto? It's good. You'd like it, I think. So, I mean, I just named eight, eight or eight or nine Scorsese movies that I like better than the yeah. Irishman. Yeah. But I all, and let me also preface this with when I first saw both Mean Streets and Casino, I didn't love them. Mm. And as I've gotten further away from them, they're two of my favorite. Scorsese movie. I still don't love Mean Streets. Roberto, you haven't seen it. No, have I have. I've watched it. I still I love, I give it another, I, I love I've Mean it twice, Streets. It's, the, it's the blueprint for every Scorsese movie that comes it forward. It really is. Yeah. I mean, it's not that I don't like it. I just don't like it as much as I like. For me, the big three are Casino, Goodfellas, and The Departed. I mean, when I first saw Mean Streets, what I came away of saying was, well, what, what's the plot? What's it about? It doesn't really have a plot. Mm-hmm. But then once I kind of got over that, and said, "Well, it's just about a, a group of friends, you know, it, it knock around guys, minor hoodlum types in New York City in the early '70s, you know, trying to scrape by." Then I, I liked it more. If I'm just talking, if we're not talking gangster films, then I would I would put Taxi Driver in maybe in the top three. Um, which, by the way, if have you ever seen Taxi Driver, Roberto? Yeah. Taxi Driver actually does have a small gangster subplot with the Harvey Keitel. Yeah. You could tell he's supposed well, to be like a connected. Mean Streets, yeah. and, and, and he's in the Irishman, right? He plays Angelo. He Bruno. plays Angelo. Bruno. He's the lead yeah. in Mean Streets. Yeah, Harvey. Ke- that's right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah that's right. And then Richie. Uh, oh yeah. Richie April is yeah, that David, David Proval? Yeah, he's great. great he plays great. Tony in Mean Streets. Right. Martin Scorsese's in Mean Streets. He likes to cast the same people. Ra- uh, in films. I believe it's. I don't know if it's Richard or Robert Romanus, Romanus, but if you know the movie Fast Times at Ridgemont High, Damone. Oh, yeah. His, yeah. He, I don't know if he's Richard or Robert, but he's one of them. He's the son. His dad, who I believe is Robert, I believe he's Richard, uh, plays another main character in, in, in Mean Streets, and it's also uh, De Niro's kind of... Uh, you know, tour de force. His first kind of tour de force uh, a performance, where I believe he gets nominated for it. It's the first time you really get exposed to Robert De Niro as what uh, we know yes. Robert De Niro as. Thanks uh, for listening to another episode of Original Gangsters. I'm Jimmy Bucciolato. I'm Scott Bernstein. I'm Roberto. See you next time.